This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida. We are your guides to this episode of In the Hunt. We are going to bring clarity to this complex game of golf and help you reach your next level of performance. So if you're ready to step up your game, join us on the hunt. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of In the Hunt. This is Brian Bailey coming here, coming in from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. I hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, we have a really exciting show. We're kind of pairing out of the golf world, which I'm excited about. Uh, this podcast is all about performance. So before we introduce our guest, let's uh, jump in here and say hello to Mark Sweeney down in Windermere, Florida. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm good. Just business as usual. Just getting back on the swing of things, teaching. Uh, was out this morning fighting the rain, but, but it's all good. Things are starting to liven up again. Yeah, we just had that tropical whatever it was to come up through Virginia last night and uh, stuff all over the yard. I got a lot of work to do here in a little bit. Yeah, bears. Get rid of the bears. <laughs> we got lots of those. Um, so, uh, Mark, uh, since uh, our guest is down in Orlando, let's go ahead and let you segue in, um, and we'll get this thing going. Yeah, today I'm real excited to have Devin Vale on because we, um, you know, a lot of the best things I've learned in golf, I've learned from uh, disciplines outside of golf. In other words, I've been able to take things that other people do in other disciplines and other sports and apply them in golf in innovative ways. And so I'm always trying to beat the bushes and understand how other sports uh, do what they do. You know, what makes them successful? How do they train? And I find there's a lot of good insight for golf on that. So we brought in uh, Devin Vale today. We talked about uh, we referred to her last week uh, or a couple of days ago on our podcast. She is a um, head coach and choreographer for Top Gun uh, cheer uh, team in Orlando. Is also choreog choreog choreographed. <laughs> I don't even know how to word choreographed. There you go. <laughs> you went where UVA? Virginia Tech boy could have said that. Yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> for uh, multiple top national summit and world teams including leading teams to the UCA and NCA championship titles and has won a lot of innovative choreography awards. Got it right that time. Um, she also teaches, she teaches all over the country. She teaches in, uh, you know, pretty goes to coach in pretty much every state and uh, internationally travels quite a bit internationally as well. So she's really kind of the top of her field. Um, and, and I've always been fascinated by cheer because my girls did cheer when they were young and it always amazed me how, well they performed at such a young age and they did very intricate stunts and they were all choreographed very well and in big teams and they got them doing this at a very young age and we struggle sometimes in golf to get younger kids doing things well so we're going to pick Devin's brain on that and kind of see her experience so Devin welcome to the show thank you thank you guys for having me good yeah it seems like you've been traveling a lot lately uh more than we have so so your um has cheer been kind of up and running or just still just practicing so actually we're still a bit shut down in the big in kind of the overall regard but we are kind of starting to open up doing um private lessons and stuff like that where we can kind of get in there and work with the kid one-on-one -on -one and be in the gym but of course all the regulations with you know staying six feet apart and only so much you can do like touch wise, you know, which a lot of our stuff, especially when you're just working one-on-one, -on -one, a lot of it is the tumbling privates where they're doing like gymnastics types moves. So, you know, majority of those you're spotting sometimes where that's like helping them through doing the skill that they're trying to perfect. So that's kind of taken a back burner a bit just cause you kind of want to do kind of hands off. So we have been working a little more performance wise and stuff like that and just uh, working more with older the, the skills that they already have and just trying to perfect those. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I, I'm vaguely familiar with um, cheer and cheer competitions because I went through it when my girls were younger. But um, just kind of explain to us the overall um, environment. You know, how big is the team? How long are the routines? Um, how often do they travel? How often do they train? Things like okay. that. Okay, so our um, the one that majority of competitive cheerleading, which is what I work with the most, the, it differs for high school, college, rec teams, stuff like that. But the competitive side of things, which I think is really the heart of all cheerleading, at least what, in my opinion, but, um, so the routines, it's usually team wise, there's about anywhere from 12 to 30, 36, you know, you can go, there's small, medium, large teams. Some of them are co-ed, some of them are all girl. Those are specified in the beginning of the year to what division they're going to be in. And, um, we just, we make sure that every routine is two minutes and 30 seconds. So that's packed in with a huge, you know, there's all these scores, there's a score sheet to all these things you have to incorporate within the routine to hit difficulty wise. And then there's a whole execution side of it, which is difficulty is how, how hard the skills you're putting in the routine are. And then execution is how well you can perform these skills, whether they're difficult or not, which sometimes it's better to do less difficult and perform it better so that you get better execution and technique scores then go more difficult. So that's kind of how you put together the teams knowing, you know, we're putting, we have all these people that a pool of people that are around the same level when that uh, tumbling wise or skill level wise. And then you really want to try to put together exactly the right, you know, mix of people that will make what division you're in work best stunt wise and tumbling wise and stuff to be successful. So yeah, it's just, um, and we go around, we usually do about eight, I would say eight competitions per season, um, majority of which are local. And then we do about four, well, I guess more like half and half, but four travel trips where we go to bigger nationals um, and same with pretty much everywhere around the country. Like we will go to a big one in Dallas every year, a big one in um, Atlanta every year, sometimes Nashville, but uh, the local ones are kind of just, we're getting ourselves ready. We're seeing where we are on the score sheet and then building back in the gym towards those bigger competitions. And then at the very end of the year, there's the kind of your end of the year competitions like worlds and summit, which those are two that you need to receive a bid to, which is basically an invitation. So you go to those nationals to hopefully receive a bid to the end of the year, the final huge competition where everybody's against everybody from every region, every part of everything, the world, literally. Right, right. And are all those routines different for all eight to 12 of those events? Or are they the same one you keep doing? So no, yes. For, for each team, they keep the same routine from the time that they get their choreography in the beginning of the year. And they'll still, they get their music that goes to it. And they pretty much compete that same routine with a little bit of it. Uh, there's exceptions throughout the year, you know, as they get, as the team gets the, the material and they've really started to perfect it. You can see as a coach when you can come in and say, okay, they've gotten this. Now we, they can, they've shown they can do this. Now let's pump it up a little bit and, you know, raise the difficulty a bit so that we'll be in a little bit higher range with that. And, you know, you can really see like as kids get more skills, you can really try to like place those in the routine too. But for the most part, it stays the same routine. There just might be tweaks that you're just trying to make it better as they get better throughout the year. And they're more used to the routine they've been doing. I find that fascinating because if you think of golf, this is kind of how we the two kind of merge together. Um, golf is all about building skill sets, kind of getting to a, a level. 
and then kind of staying at that level and trying to add pieces as you go. So I think a fascinating piece is um, in a team dynamic, that's always a challenge, but how do you introduce your, your new choreography and how do you, how do you cater to each player or each dance or cheerleader to kind of elevate their game and kind of build their, their skills as necessary? So that's actually a, a loaded question, but ah. it's something, <laughs> but it's something that um, as a choreographer, because everybody, so there's, I'm also a coach and all coaches coach, but not all coaches do choreography. So that's a whole separate sector, but I'm one of those that actually does choreography too. So usually there's people hiring out from their specific program to hire in a choreographer, someone like me that to come in because a lot of it is just having that niche to do a little bit of like um, where you can take all the elements that you need on a score sheet, which pretty much every coach in the industry knows the elements they need, but they need someone who can put it all together in a, something that flows and something that's interesting and creative and make sure that they put all their skill. And a lot of times it's things where, like you said, where there's different, you know, skill sets on, even on one team, there can be a little bit, not everybody has the exact same skills. So they need someone to find a way to hide their weaknesses and show off their strengths. So that's where someone like me comes in. And the reason I said it's a loaded question is because I always get this question, like how is it that you can go over and over and over to all these different teams every year and create a new routine. Like how does it not stay the same? And I always kind of say it's it really like you either have it or you don't. It's something you're, you know, born with or, you know, you develop within the thing I say I was born with it. But um, the really, I take the team and no matter what, every, every time you go to a team, you could go to one, the same level and the same age group across a bunch of different states, but every single time you go in, there's gonna be a different set of people and kids on the floor that they're not ever gonna have the exact same thing to do. So it kind of like speaks to you in a way. So I, you know, you put them in stunt groups, which that's the group that they, you know, lift each other up in and stuff like that. So from that stunt group, I usually put them in there and then I start to work backwards. And I know what set we kind of, I discuss with the, the coach what, sections they want what if they if they're good at standing tumbling and not so good at running tumbling if they think their team is better stunters than jumpers stuff like that i talk to them about that and then we kind of together get a little bit of a routine order of sections where how what's what order of the sections we'd like to do that we think will make them successful because a lot of times you want to put things that they're not as good at it's it's a fine line because you think Sometimes you want to put something they're not as good at in the beginning of the routine so that they can get it done while their stamina is still high. But you also don't want it to be the first thing that the judges see because if it's something that's a little bit weaker. But so there's a fine line of trying to make that flow and still make the kids be able to perform it well and write and not have deductions, which is something, you know, like where they fall or put their hands down or a stunt comes down or something which can ultimately hurt you way worse. So yeah, so I kind of go with that, get the order. And then from there, I just, you can see on the mat where, you know, I'd say, okay, we're about to move backwards into the running tumbling section, for example. And then I'd say, okay, who are your best tumblers? The people raise their hand, blah, blah, blah. We, we kind of, from there is where then I create, because of where they are on the floor, I can kind of think, okay, before this, I have to make the, the section before this end up here where they are now. So what patterns am I going to choose and stuff like that to get them 
to end up to where this transitions nicely, where everybody is where they need to be to stunt? So, it's so, a very great question. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and so that leads into to my biggest question that I always have, which is, you know, I've watched this. So you've got, you know, it's, you know cheer, teams from 12 to 30 plus, which I didn't know they got that big. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these girls can be very young. I mean, I've seen very young girls out there doing unbelievable tumbling and, and stunts. And they've all got to be um, synchronized with all the rest of the team in exactly in a two and a half minute routine or they get dinged. Right. And so yeah. the question I have from a, from a coaching point of view is how do you train, you know, how do you train a, a group that big? How, how often, what do you do? What are the keys to getting them to learning it and to being so synchronized and performing? Cause there's a lot. And one thing I know about cheer, there's a load of peer pressure. Like it's, it's a true team sport. It's not like yeah. golf, you know, and if you don't show up at practice, you know, you're ostracized, right? I mean, you have yeah. to show up at practice. For sure, um, and, and so it's very different from golf in that respect. But I see, I see the you know the athleticism and, and the things they're doing, and it's so far beyond you know what a lot of golfers are doing, just chipping around the green. And sometimes you can't even get them to chip around the green without without duffing it. Um, yeah. So how do you get you know younger kids to that level of performance um, in a, in a fairly short time frame? It seems like. So it kind of starts from the beginning. You know, when once they get the routine we sort of build on that because yes, it is a lot of it. It seems short, like, Oh, it's only two minutes and 30 seconds, but it's the most jam packed two minutes and 30 seconds they will ever do. They, people say that that have been in it. There's nothing, there's no workout like a full out routine, which is what we call it when we do everything completely throwing all the skills and everything start to finish. They, um, they have, so they start out kind of in a little where we want to, bring them to a point where they're ready to just kind of walk through the routine. So they know the routine, they've learned it, they're walking through it, getting their spots together, working on the motion parts of it. And then we'll slowly start to add in, okay, well, we'll music aside, we'll bring them to their stunt sequence. And it's all about just reps and really breaking it down. So you're not going to totally just throw yourself towards the, um, throw them into the stunt sequence because it can be dangerous when they don't really know all the grips and everything. So, you really break it down section by section of, of even just one section, if that makes sense, yeah. sectioning out the sections and yeah. um, make sure that they know what they're doing and you're watching them. And we do a lot of drills where they'll, where they'll just stop midway and we're checking everybody, you know, where they would have been completing a skill. They just stop midway and we pause them and everybody, we're checking everyone's grips, checking the flyers, uh, how they're holding themselves, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, we really work the stunts in the beginning a lot more than anything because that's the group dynamic that you're talking about that really, no matter what, they need to they need their own stuff. So aside from practice, usually we have the stunt groups get together as well on their own. Just, you know, we'll say, okay, you have your three practices a week that are two and a half hours long. And then aside from that, your stunt group needs to get together and make sure you're repping this sequence together so that we don't have to worry about you when you're getting back to practice that you're going to be you know, right. not, so how- not to par, but <laughs> the, um, and then, so yeah, once they get the stunt sequences, that's kind of the hardest thing to get as a group. And then we'll start adding in, okay, we're going to do the whole routine. You're going to walk through the whole routine. We're not going to stun it all, but you're going to tr- start trying to throw your tumbling passes through to almost the end of it, you know, like almost as hard as you can do, but we'll water it down a bit so that they're building their stamina and really getting to the point where they need to be that where they're safe and, their endurance is up enough to be able to throw the hard skill that they want to eventually compete. So it's just a lot of drills, a lot of breaking stuff down and making sure, like you said, the biggest thing is having everybody there. It's, 
it's so true what you said, you know, just that no matter what, that is the biggest issue of a successful team is if everybody is not there for every practice because there's no practice that's alike. You're, you're moving on to new things and you've got to really get that, um, that where you're just really in sync with each other every single time. They say like, you don't just do it enough times to get it right. You do it enough times so you can't get it wrong. You know, and that's like kind of the thing where there's no, because no matter what, how much you train and how much you try, of course, even when you start running the full outs in the gym where it's before you've gone to the competition, but now their stamina is built and their endurance is good enough to where you feel like they're safe to throw this whole routine, full out everything. And no matter what, the first time it would be a miracle if this never happened, if this ever happened, but no matter what, there's always at least you know, five or six deductions the first time through, because no matter what people still are not ready as much as you think they are, they still got to do it. Nothing prepares you for it except the actual thing. So then you start from there continuing just with that same push to just do more and more full out routines so that their stamina gets built. And then, uh, really just seeing what the problem areas are. And if something consistently starts happening with say the same athlete, always, you know, falling in one part, then as a coach, you have to decide where, you know, you need to water them down to kind of make it a little bit less of a skill or whatever, because at the end of the day, you want the routine to hit above anything. You don't, you don't want the deductions that can hurt you worse than, than the difficulty points would gain. If that makes sense. Makes total sense. Perfect sense. And I think uh, like any great coach and coaching environment is being able to manage players. Uh, I coached collegiately golf. So it was a little different. You know, we would have 10 to 15 girls and then, you know, for us, we'd only play five. So we'd have to manage, a bunch of players at home and keep them engaged to keep wanting to compete. Um, so I think, I think uh, what insight do you have for coaches out there that have teams about how to manage the player, you know, having a large group of girls, uh, trust me, I've had teams of 15 women and it can be a challenge just to have them wear the same outfit. So give us some insight on how you're able to manage that. So, yeah, that's so true. They, there's always, especially with girls, there's always a bit of discipline that has to be set right at the beginning of the season where you bring them in, you know, and you're just kind of saying it's, it's always good to just let them know these aren't just rules we have just to, for them to be rules. It's rules that are ultimately going to make us so much more successful. And for everyone to be, if you want your season to be successful, if you want your, if you want to win, if that's your goal, you know, we always start with talking like, what is your goal for the year individually? What's your goal for the team? You know, like, what do you think, what would you love to have at the end? If we were to talk to you at the end of the season, what do you hope that, that we could, that you could gain by this whole year? And they usually write it down. That's always a good little uh, kind of an icebreaker too. When they, the girls are just getting together and they might not know each other. They all get in a little circle, write down their individual goal for the season and then their team goal for the season. And of course, a lot of them right off the bat naturally will just say, Oh, I want to win. You know, I want to, I want to make it to the final championship and I, I want to do the best I can, all that kind of stuff. So that's the perfect time to, you know, whirl that into a little talk where it kind of comes naturally, but you can just say, okay, here's the deal. If you want to be successful, this can't just be a second thing. This can't just be on the back burner. It can't be, you know, oh, I'm going to come to practice and kind of give, you know, whatever it's, you can't just go day by day. It has to be 100% full in every single practice as if it's the last practice you have, or else we're just not going to make it there. You know, like you have to commit fully right from the beginning. And with that is the biggest thing with just showing up. Like it's so important to just 
make sure you're at every single practice and they all agree in the beginning, you know, and then it's, it will have little times where people start, you know, missing a practice here, missing a practice there. And we'll try to be really proactive on getting on them and getting, making sure the parent knows, making sure they know that it's not just, we're trying to be annoying with this. Like, Oh yeah, you gotta be at practice. Like it's like work or school. You know, it's not, it's not that it's because you missing practice one time means not just you don't get the reps, but three other girls that are in your stunt group don't get to do their, don't get the reps on what they're doing. You know, everybody else in the routine, there's all these parts that can't go with just one person missing. And I, that's what I think a lot of parents don't understand too. And they're kind of okaying, you know, oh, she's tired from school and stuff like that. But it really, I think between the, the athlete and the parent, there has to be right from the beginning, like you have to be committed to this and dedicated. And that's the only way. And if not cool, but don't expect to be successful. You know, so that's, and yeah, with the uniforms and stuff, you know, we, we make sure they, they play little, we have little games you play. Like if they, if they, if there's one person without the uniform on, you know, they have to do like a certain amount of sprints or whatever, like the whole team is affected. So that it, mm-hmm. if it was something like that, that was happening in golf, you know, like you the military. Do, yes. It's like everybody gets punished. We can't just be individual because then they'll just be like, I don't care. And they'll do it. But when the whole team is like, oh, Kaylee didn't wear her stuff again. And now we all have to do bear crawls. <laughs> like then they're on her texting her before, you know, like, Hey, make sure you wear the right outfit. And like you're there on time. So it kind of works, but yeah, definitely just going right from the beginning. I think the goals at the beginning can lead into those discussions on making sure everybody's fully committed and dedicated because it, it really is. Yeah. One of the most important parts of the entire season for it to be successful. And I think that's brilliant coaching. I think it, any coach in any profession say, what's our end goal? If this is our end goal, what are you, what are you willing to do to get there? And mm-hmm. if, if the player and the coach have an end goal and they kind of mesh, then everything that's asked by each of them can allow them to achieve that goal. I love that. Right. Yeah, and go you, ahead, can, Mark. you can bring it back up. Cause it's always, I always keep them, you know, they'll write them on a little piece of paper. It's like some little piece of trash, what it looks like, but I'll keep them in a folder. And sometimes if we get there and I'm feeling like I have that, that problem with commitment with the athlete, you can bring that same piece of paper back up to practice, you know, later and just be like, Hey, uh, you wrote it. this is your handwriting. Yeah. This is your goal. So don't ask me why I'm, I'm trying to get on you about this. Cause this was all you. So it's kind yeah, of a I like that. way. So I watched, uh, the, um, the Netflix show, I think it was called, it was called cheer. Yes. It was called cheer. And I, I was fascinated by it, frankly. And you, I think you've worked with that team down there, right? The team in Texas. I, I know a couple of the girls on oh. there, but I haven't worked with them directly, but I do know a lot of the people that were featured in the documentary. Yeah. So, so one of the, I mean, I thought the whole thing was fascinating, first of all, but one of the things I thought was most interesting about uh, one thing the coach did is that they, they did all this um, scenario planning, like what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and she's like, I'm trying to think of every possible thing that could disrupt the flow. Somebody gets hurt, the weather's bad, we get delayed, like, like everything they could think of. She said, I want to prepare for that just in case it happens. Yeah, um, is that something y'all do? Is that something that's normal in cheer? Yeah, I mean, she definitely brought that light forward. And 100%, we definitely do it. We have those little things. But she, even me watching that, I was like, I need to be more proactive with that kind of stuff. Because, of course, you do little things, you know, you always teach them when something happens, keep going, no matter what. You know, like the longer you're putzing around, not getting it back together, or you're not back, you're out of your 110% that you're trying to push, the more things are going to start happening. And the, frankly, the more points you're losing by the second when it comes to just, you know, overall and performance category and all that kind of stuff by 
moping around about it or something. So we obviously do a lot of training like that where you have to push right past the deduction at like almost like it didn't happen. And yeah, we need more of that in golf, right, Brian? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah, you can't let it show on your face, obviously, but it can even be a snowball effect into the rest of your routine. If you're going through it, moping around about how you dropped a stunt earlier, you're losing so many more points as you go moping around about it than if you just left it where it happened and continued pushing through the rest of the routine hard because you're still losing more points. So, right. um, yeah, and that, but yeah, so she, I thought that was so awesome the way she said that because there are things, you know, things will happen. The lights will go out, you know, in the middle of a, some, your routine, your music stops. We do that one a lot where um, we kind of mock where if your music stops, because a lot of times you have no control over what's going to happen with the, the music. DJ. Yeah. And you, you, they have you do it, but even still it's, you know, things happen. So a lot of times things just stop in the middle and they've, they're actually trained to complete their entire routine just to counts whether in their head, usually it happens often enough that the crowd actually will count for them because everybody, you know, everybody does everything to the counts, you know, and um, the crowd will actually count for them and they're trained to just keep going. Like it's their normal thing and keep performing as if their same voiceovers are in there, as if the same music is on there and like it, like it's not even anything. And it actually ends up kind of better sometimes. Wow. That's fascinating. And, and cheer, um, cheer has obviously gotten much more, uh, difficult over the years. Like the stunts you see now are like insane, right? Compared to what they oh, were yeah. 20 years ago. Absolutely. I mean, is that something that's hit a wall or they, they keep pushing the boundaries on that? You know, that it's something we talk about a lot because yes, it feels it ever, no matter what, everybody wants to do the next hardest thing and the next craziest thing. And the next like more, you know, creative look to what they're doing. And yeah, it's gotten so insane with the difficulty of stuff that we're doing, even all down through the levels. So there's, there's levels one through seven, seven being the highest and one being beginner level. And it's so funny because some of the things 10, even 10, even five years ago, some of the things that were considered like a level seven situation or a level five situation have somehow popped all the way down to being allowed in a level three routine because the level five team just gets so good. And then the level three teams, the stuff that we had as regulated, what's safe for them to do and what, you know, these, the people at the girls at this level or boys at this level can do, they've totally just taken it and run with it and perfected it to the point where it's like, yeah, they can bump it up, you know? And so, and especially with the high level teams, the world's level teams, they just keep pushing the envelope every single year and making it work within the safety guidelines that it just gets harder and harder and harder. And it, we do talk about that in a lot of the uh, up in, you know, the big, the people, the governing bodies and stuff who make the score sheets, they talk about it all the time. Like, is it, are we getting too difficult to where we're, there's going to be safety issues and stuff. And usually they, you know, they adjust the rules and adjust the score sheet every year to try to help that. But um, yeah, I'm actually just so impressed at how, how good everybody's getting. And I, so to answer your question, no, I don't think it's ever going to stop. We mm -hmm. think that we've done the hardest and craziest thing, but two years ago, we thought we did the hardest and craziest thing. And now it's, that was easy. Little kids can do it. You know, like it's chump change now, you know, it's just like, yeah. oh, that was so last season. It's like that four minute mile, Brian, we keep talking That's about. Right. Four, it's hard until somebody does it, then everybody else starts doing it. That's right. Um, I, I think it's fascinating because I know collegiately, uh, I think one of the stats I, I'll remember because uh, cheering was like the highest uh, insurance rate 
yes. due to injur- possible injuries. And you know, yeah, you think of football catastrophic head injuries was the exactly. Biggest. So you think of football as being this, but it's really cheering. So I always think it's fascinating that the athlete, a, a cheering athlete, is actually a, a true athlete. You know, golf gets bummed all the time and not being athletes and a lot of times it is true look at mark and i we're look not at athletes. us yeah <laughs> but but the, the the actual competing cheerleader is an athlete can you kind of define what a, a typical day of training looks like for that athlete sure so um when we go in you know they come in they're in their workout gear they have special shoes and stuff like that for the floor and um they want to look impressive so we have a little we have a um a practice set of clothing that they come in practice wear that's really cute and um they come in they're ready to work we we basically start with um what we call a dynamic warm-up which goes through a lot of just the joints and stuff you know they're they're moving around they say that that's you know a lot of times it used to be we stretch first no matter what that was always on the docket as the first thing to do but recently in the past couple years we've started this dynamic warm-up where you kind of do a little bit of a it's like a run, a little high knees. You you go around. You're kind of like doing some kicks. You do lunges, kind of back and forth. They are. It's actually choreographed, of course. But you know, so they know exactly what to do. You play music time. while they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, they they pick their song usually in the beginning of the year that they want to warm up to. But they go through the motions of that to kind of loosen up their bodies, and then it's usually only about ten minutes. We get it down to condense it to where they know exactly the order and all that kind of stuff because we had someone come in um, a couple years ago that was really big on injury prevention. And she was just awesome with all these little things. And that was one of her main things that even before you stretch, your muscles should already be warm. So then they come in and they stretch. They do a really, really good full body stretch because obviously every single one of their muscles is being used throughout the whole practice. They do a really big stretch. And then usually um, they take the flyers, the, which are the ones that go up into the air. and um, Little ones. Yeah, the little babes. And they <laughs> give them a little bit more intensive stretching with the what we call body positions, which are just – where their legs are in the air, you know, all those crazy Gumby looking things that you see them up in the air doing. So they'll, they'll really push that a little bit harder while everybody else is kind of finishing up their warm up. And then we'll come in, kind of talk about our plan for the practice. We usually put together on like a whiteboard, you know, okay, these are the things. And I, I think that could be something that could be put into any sport is I think that's really helped my teams the last couple of years is at the beginning of the, at the beginning of practice, put it on a whiteboard or before if you're organized like that, put it on a, um, a whiteboard so that when they walk in, they know what's expected of them from that practice. Like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to stretch this blah, blah, blah. We're going to do a couple reps of, of the stunt. Then we're going to move into a run through a walk through performance mark through, and then we're going to go full out once. Then we're going to do a, uh, uh, we do a stamina. It's called a stamina run through, which is right after they do a full out. You set it right back up before they get water and anything that happened, any, any deduction, has to go again, but you're just marking through the whole routine. Otherwise, like if, if it hit perfect in the routine, cool, you can breathe through it. But anything that messed up in that last routine, you're doing it again while you're dead tired, just to kind of push you into hopefully not making that same mistake the next time. So they do that. They do those stamina run throughs and then more reps, another full out, you know, or whatever you want to put together and then cool down stretch or clap it ups, which is what we call at the end of the practice, which is another thing I think is really good to put into any sport. At the end of any practice, we get together, talk about how the practice went, you know, plans for next time, whatever, and uh, go over if we got, sometimes you don't get through everything you want to get through in the two hours and 30 minutes, because it just doesn't happen. You get caught up, you know, trying to make something work or you're fixing something and stuff. So 
we'll talk about, okay, we need to get in there. Or you guys need to come in extra because we didn't get to that part yet. And then we'll, or we'll pick back up their next practice. But then we always end with what we call clap it ups. And those are just positive things that happened at the practice. You know, oh, I have a clap it up for Leslie because she really pushed hard. She wasn't feeling good today. And she really gave it her all without complaining. Sorry. Um, yeah, so Leslie came in and she was really sick, didn't feel good today, and but she still gave it her all. So everyone just kind of like clap, clap, clap. You know, it's like we do a little like three clap thing. And then the next person, oh, I have a clap it up for this person. Oh, I have a clap it up for the whole team because we've hit our first full out tonight. Clap, clap, clap. So those are really cool to incorporate into the end of any practice because I think it, no matter what, even if you have, even if you end on a weird note, it wasn't the best practice you thought you had, you know, it leaves everybody feeling positive and feeling excited about the next practice and ready for what's what's coming next instead of you know sulking over what what might have happened that was bad at practice so that's a really cool thing to incorporate to any the end of any athletic event I think that's fascinating I don't think anybody in golf does anything like that uh, like in college teams Brian have you seen anything like that where the team reconvenes at the end and goes over positives or is it just kind uh, of not real well, golf yeah, golf, they're all little assassins. They're all working on their own thing, doing their own things. You know, you'd come together for some – like a lot of times we'd come together at the very end and do a team competition and then, you know, maybe yeah, reflect so on – <laughs> Yeah, but but I, I really love the fact, like like you said, of actually adding, you know, here's certainty. You know, the, the athlete likes to understand there is risk to any sport. We get that as an athlete. But I love that the fact that here's what we're doing today. So now the player knows what, what we're trying to accomplish. And again, I think that's clean. And I, I really love that any training session I go to, I always have, this is what we're going to do. Usually even before they show up, I send them, hey, here's, here's my intended training for today. And they can give me insight. But I, I love the fact that you post it. They know it's expected. And then in the end, to, to kind of give that, it's reflection. You, mm -hmm. You're basically taking the entire team and say, let's reflect on the day. Where do we need to get better? So whatever that is, is going to be on the whiteboard next week. So right. I think it's, I think it's, it's brilliant. And any coach should really listen to that and figure out a way to do that inside of, inside of their group that they teach. Yeah. So, so I, so here's a question I have for you. Um, you know, in every, in every sport, there's, there's superstitions and kind of customs in that. And we always see in cheer, like in all, in all the cheer movies and documentary, they're always talking about, the, the superstitions like in Daytona, you can't go in the water before the yeah. competition's over and all that. What role do you think that plays, you know, psychologically or from a performance point of view to have such strong superstitions? I'm sure there's some in golf, there's some in every single sport, but, but how do you think that plays into either positive or negatively to, to your team's performance? Sure. So that is actually a really huge part of, I, in, sometimes I've had teams that are the most superstitious team ever. And there's some that, you know, little things they are, but they could care less. They're like, nope, what, what happens happens. But the ones that are superstitious, it really becomes a huge part of them going on the actual floor. So maybe not at practice and stuff like that. Like they're kind of going through, they don't really use the superstitions at practice, but they, it's like almost they go into this other realm of reality when they step into the competition atmosphere that all this, you know, they can't split the pole. They're, when they're walking to warm-ups, you know, we'll be in a line walking to warm-ups. They have to have their same partner. You know, like they pick a partner at the beginning of the year. We're, you know, we're locked arms. We're walking together. If we're not, if I'm locked arms with the girl behind me this time, we're all going to crash and burn. You know, it's like the end of the world. And then, or they can't split the pole that they're going around. Just the, they want to stay on the same side of the pole. There's certain songs that hype them up. There's a funny one that um, 
a lot of my, uh, it's funny because there's these girls that I coached since they were really little and they kind of, you know, they started this whole superstition that right before they go on, they have to eat these good luck gummies, which are just like the lifesaver gummies. Yeah. And so they I, come from Colorado or are they from Florida? <laughs> they're, just, they're the Florida ones. They oh, okay. Because <laughs> a lot of them are a mess. So they need a little bit of relaxation. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they'll eat those gummies. And if, if one of them doesn't get the gummy, they're all freaked out that they're going to mess up. And, and it's funny because that, that same group, I've watched them grow up and go to different teams and, you know, move on to higher levels. And, you know, but of course we're always still kind of all back there together. And I've watched them still every single time they have the gummies, you know, from when they were six years old to when they're 18 years old, they need those gummies, you know? So I think that if anything, it's, it's a positive thing. I don't think that they, I always tell them at the end of the time, you know, I love the superstitions because I think it makes it fun. And I think, it creates more of a bond within the team because they know their superstitions. They, it's kind of puts them in a routine to when they're in that, you know, when they're in their actual competition realm, they, they get very nervous and things can happen that, you know, they're, they're scared. They're like, Oh God, what's going to happen? Cause it really is, you know, it's not up to them. Like how you say in golf is individual. You're kind of on the thing. Like they, I personally could go out there and hit my routine perfectly. But since, this girl over here messed up. Now we're in second place. Now we're in third place, you know? So it is scary, not just as an individual. Yeah, but it's a pressure. So I do love that it gets them sort of in a mindset where they're thinking about the superstitions instead of just in their head about the routine. So I think that they're very important to have. And I totally, totally am on the side because I think it's funny and I do the same things. I'm like making up the superstitions with them and following them and, you know, calling people out that are messing them up. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I do make sure at the end of right before they're about, they can do their superstitions up until we're about to take the mat. And I make sure we pull them in and remind them you are prepared for this. You know, like you are totally 100% capable. You're equipped. You, you've put in the work, you know what to do. You're 100% capable of hitting this routine perfectly, no matter what, just you, not anything else that happens. Like all you have to do is go out there and make sure that, you do your job on the floor and it's going to be money, you know, whether we split the pole or not, you know, whether we ate the gummy or not, you're trained, for this, you are 100% capable. And that's always usually the words I use kind of in those, in a, in different ways sometimes, but kind of just remind them no matter what it, you got this, you know? And so I think they're fun and really great and a, a cool part of the culture, but definitely remind them that <laughs> it's that's their cool. training that will get them through. I like that. I like that. And then at Mark at the very beginning said, it, you know, we go outside of golf, um, finding coaches uh, to, to bring uh, inspiration, ideas to become better coaches. I'm an avid reader. I have probably read more than 75 to 100 memoirs or biographies of other coaches and other disciplines Impressive. just to try to become a better coach. What influences do you have outside of cheer that you could cite or, or, or has helped you become a better coach? Well, I think I've, I always kind of rely on things that I've learned from my mentors and things like that in coaching and just kind of learning from the people around you. Like you, like you said with the Netflix documentary, just, you know, watching that and that that's so true, just learning how other people work. And, um, you know, my, I think that just being in the industry, but seeing it from different sides of it, you know, from being also a choreographer, sometimes even though it's kind of not exactly the question, but even sometimes just being a choreographer, I can 
I make a decision as a choreographer that I wouldn't make as a coach or that I would be mad about as a coach or the opposite. Like as a coach, you know, I'm like just something that I would have done choreography wise that would, that I tell myself, no, like if this wasn't my team, my exact team that I'm coaching, I wouldn't let them do this or I wouldn't put that skill in there or I wouldn't do that because I'm, because I'm not emotionally invested with them. I'm a realist with the people I do their routines when I'm not, you know, I don't know the person from when they were five years old or something like that where, oh yeah, they can totally do this. I'm the one that's usually telling the coach, no, let's just, you know, for the sake of hitting the routine, let's make sure that we're going to do this. Or no, you might think that she looks great, but it's because she's your, your niece, but she looks crazy. She can't be in that spot. She like, no, absolutely not. So I'll be making those. And sometimes I'll pull back as a coach and be like, okay, would I have put this in the routine? You know, so in a way I kind of use the other side of the industry that I work in as something to bump off ideas and stuff like that. And really try to take myself out of, you know, my, my mindset as a coach. And, um, yeah, so that's basically, and I, of course, um, you know, with, when it comes to creating routines and you know, this is something that coaches do and choreographers do, but a lot more with choreographers is we will take from other, um, performance style sports, like, you know, ice skating, gymnastics, dance, like all the, all the other sports that they're not necessarily doing the same sport that we're doing, but we can look to them for almost inspiration on something that the, our industry hasn't really seen done, you know, like, oh, they're doing that, but of course we're not putting that move in, but what could we do that makes that move they're doing work in the cheerleading world and how to make that like, and make it a skill that's impressive and creative and is getting some talk about, you know? So I would say kind of just pulling from, you know, other, watching other performance type sports and trying to incorporate those kind of ideas in the stuff we're doing. All right, cool. Brian, do you have any other questions before we wrap up and maybe do a, a lightning round? No, no, we'll, we'll jump right into the lightning round here. So you can go ahead and start us off, Mark. All right, so so all new guests on the show, we get to ask you four or five quick questions, fairly quick questions that you're unprepared okay. for, and they're and Brian's are particularly uh, bizarre. So all, you know, mine are usually better, but Brian, God only knows what's going to come out of his mouth. All right, so first question, easy. Tell us, uh, tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Ooh, okay, I have one. Um, one thing a lot of people know is I'm epileptic. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. See, Mark, you didn't even know that. Wow. I guess I don't know you as well as I thought. And I guess, and I, this might not be good for a sports, sport, sport, sports podcast, but I developed it later in life, probably due to head injuries from cheerleading. So there's a statistic for you. Oh, you got dropped too many times, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made those people mad that were catching you. <laughs> all right brian you go next all right if you were to describe your choreography in three words what would it be okay i would say girly clean and intricate nice good one interesting all right what movie best describes your personality oh no um legally blonde i'm just kidding um, <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Because she gets it Good done. One. She's a cutie. She's blonde, but she gets her work done. You know, maybe I'm not a lawyer, but she's got the attitude. Right. All right. If, if, if Devin was not doing what she's doing today, what career path would you see yourself on? So I think I actually was just, I, I think I would be flipping houses and doing, I really love that. I, that's all I watch on HGTV. 
kind of those little flipping houses shows where you buy something really like make it amazing. And cause I, I'm, I love home decor and things like that. So I've been, that's been one of the things I've on my bucket list to be flipping houses one day. That's a tough oh, cool. profession. <laughs> Making a yeah. All right. What was your most stressful moment in cheer? Hmm. I would say we were, okay. I was at, this is at the world championship. This one I was competing as an athlete. Um, and we were in, we were in second place or no, we were in first place going into finals against a really, really good team that we had beat once prior that season at a, at a nationals competition. We had already beat them, but we were really close and we both had been doing a lot more stuff. We added a lot of more stuff to the routine and, um, we went out there and I, it was the very first part of the routine. So we were kind of, you know, hoping to win. We, as long as we did our job, you know, we're, we're sitting pretty. And, uh, one of the, one of my teammates in the very, the very first second of the, of this two minute and 30 second routine, her first skill was something we call the one to double, which is just like a really hard tumbling skill. Never busted practice was always just such a good athlete lands on her back right in front of me. And, I pretty much just kind of knew from there that we had already lost and that we probably weren't going to win first. And just kind of, I think that was just that stress of just trying to make sure that I was pushing to make sure everybody else could get through the routine, knowing that we probably didn't, you know, make it to where we were going to and just trying to keep everybody else positive and within doing everything. But that was, that was a pretty stressful moment. I would say just brutal or just sad, but you know, trying to make it work. Brutal. Brian, you got you got another one? No, that's that's five. I don't want to keep going. Brian usually gives you cats or dogs, but we know what yours is. <laughs> yeah, dogs. You multiple dogs in the house. Yep. <laughs> is, is one of them named Jojo? <laughs> yes. The, most, the biggest um, dog. The big, the big life. barnyard dog. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we want to thank everybody for listening uh, to this podcast. Thank you, Devin, for joining us. So um, in the future, yeah. we're going to keep bringing you more stuff on performance and coaching. And just basically, there's a big world out there to learn from. And we encourage you to go out there and uh, find muses that will help you become a better athlete, better businessman, whatever. Um, thank you again for listening to the to In the Hunt, and thank you for joining the hunt. Have a good day. Thank you, Devin. Thank, thank you. you.